Welcome, friends, to Merit's Musings. This is a podcast for educators in the very broadest sense. I'm Jason Merritt. I'm a public school teacher and a youth minister in my church and a parent. I've dedicated my life to helping people grow and to learn. And I'm something of a writer and a poet, someone who loves language both for its artistry and also its power. In this podcast, I'm going to explore some of my informal thoughts on what it means to be human, especially in the context of being an educator, a minister, and a parent. Often I'll orient my musings around a poem I love, because any time I can spend talking about poetry is time well spent in my book. I might also talk a bit about my dogs. If you're not the type of person who enjoys a little random dog talk, this is probably not the podcast for you. I invite you to join the conversation. Feel free to write me with your thoughts and feedback. My contact information is on our website, meritsmusings.buzzsprout.com, and on my Facebook page. And now, for this week's episode, I'm reading the poem Dharma by Billy Collins. The way the dog trots out the front door every morning, without a hat or an umbrella, without any money, or the keys to her doghouse, never fails to fill the saucer of my heart with milky admiration. Who provides a finer example of a life without encumbrance? Thoreau in his curtainless hut with a single plate and a single spoon. Gandhi with his staff and holy diapers. Off she goes into the material world with nothing but her brown coat and her modest blue collar, following only her wet nose, the twin portals of her steady breathing, followed only by the plume of her tail. If only she did not shove the cat aside every morning and eat all his food. What a model of self-containment she would be. What a paragon of earthly detachment. If only she were not so eager for a rub behind the ears, so acrobatic in her welcomes. If only I were not her god. As with every poem, I picked this one primarily because I love it, but also right now in my AP language class, we are fourth of the way into a book titled Into the Wild by John Krakauer, which deals with a whole lot of issues around uh, transcendentalist themes. And so the reference to Henry David Thoreau connects to a lot of things that I'm talking about in the classroom. This question about uh, what is the relationship between uh, our, ourselves and our stuff and to what degree does our, do our possessions create personality, reinforce personality, create identity? Is there a difference between identity and personality? Uh, and of course, Into the Wild deals with other issues around uh, society versus nature, mothers versus fathers. It's a, it's a fairly short text, but absolutely wonderful. Um, and for years, I taught the full Walden uh, to my students, um, which was my favorite text to teach. Uh, and over the last four years, I've unfortunately had to drop it from the curriculum as more uh, skill-based tasks have been built in by the College Board, which I totally get, although I uh, am disappointed always that a student can graduate high school and not have read Walden. So I'm thinking a lot about these issues, and of course, uh, as a second point, it has dogs in it, so I'm in. And as a third point, uh, Dharma is a reference to the truth and references in Buddhism the, the way, the patterns, the ideas 
the theology without God, right? It's a, it's a theology without a theos uh, of Buddhism. Uh, and so, uh, and I have a degree in comparative religion. And so put all that together and you've got a poem that is dealing with all sorts of things I love. Um, and Billy Collins, uh, one of my favorite poets, like Langston Hughes, in that his work seems so much simpler than it actually is. He has this wonderful conversational tone. Uh, and inside of that, he's still able to play with repetition and syntax and do all of those fun technical things that English teachers love. But what I'm thinking about mostly today is about simplicity and perfection. So the dog in the story is presented as the ultimate model of simplicity, right? Uh, confronting the world, interacting the world with joy every morning, but no hat, no umbrella, no money, no keys, uh, just wagging their tail as they go forth following their nose out on adventures. Uh, it reminds me of the Tao of Pooh, which if you have not read by Hoffman, absolutely read. Best introduction to Taoism, uh, I still think, uh, that you can find. Uh, so, of course, we live as human beings in a world full of complications. And 2020 has even more complications. And, and so the idea of can you be a simple person in a world like this is a, is a serious challenge. Simplicity needs to be fought for if, it, if it's going to be acquired at all. But so many of our great philosophers, so many of our religious traditions say that a simple life that is authentic uh, and hopeful is the key to not only happiness, but to purpose. Um, and in my own religious tradition, Lutheran Christianity, uh, we run that theory very hard in that uh, the core of our theology is a tremendously simple message um, that gets really complicated very quickly. But we have this general idea that God is love and uh, will love and forgive everyone because he loves us so much. Um, it's, it's a simple phrase. It's a simple idea that gets really complicated very quickly. It can become overly complicated. And so much of life is like that, right? We say, uh, and we believe that freedom matters, and then people make terrible choices with their freedoms. And we realize that we have to um, put some boundaries and limits on freedoms Otherwise, the freedom of one person becomes an interference with the freedom of another, and a, and a simple idea becomes ornately complicated in uh, practicality in life. And so we go back to this poem, and our dog is running the simplicity of the world, but at the bottom, humorous section falls down, right, and eats the food or pursues affection. And that's the piece that I find most important, I think. Simplicity and contentment are critical, and hope is critical. But it is going to get complicated because it's a complex and difficult world. So you strive for simplicity while recognizing that you have to deal with complexity, right? Uh, I'm an educator. I hope you're an educator, too. That's who this podcast is aimed at. Uh, and so we want to encourage our students to be uh, complex thinkers, because they have to be. Because if you oversimplify the world, you lose something. That's a form of violence. 
And that, I think, is a, another idea that really matters. Uh, because simplicity is valuable, but denial is a form of deception, right? Um, and so we have to have an authentic simplicity where we latch on to and hold to very basic key concepts that orient us without uh, denying the world that we have to encounter and live in. Helping our students navigate that is incredibly hard, um, especially since most of us, or to be honest, me, uh, are not any good at it. Um, so I have to try to teach something to my students that I'm not very skilled at, which is this balance of simplicity and complexity in a way that's healthy. Um, and so that becomes a real challenge for a lot of teachers. It's a real challenge for me. How do I encourage people to do something better than I do it myself? And that brings me back down to that bottom of the poem where the dog is a paragon if only she weren't, right? If only she didn't. And I keep thinking about the fact that we have a tendency to keep looking for perfection in ourselves and in the people around us, and we're not going to get it, right? Um, my beautiful wife trains dogs, and one of the mantras of dog training is there's no such thing as a perfect dog, right? Every dog is wonderful in their own way, but every dog has flaws. And I think about the fact that there are no perfect people. And to the degree we're hunting for perfection in other people, that's the degree that we're going to spend our life bitter and disappointed. As teachers, we know that there are no perfect students, or we should know that. One of the great flaws that many teachers have, and I sometimes find myself falling into this and try to pull myself back out, uh, is the expectation that my students will be such better people than I am. I take shortcuts. I get tired. I get crabby. I make impulsive decisions that I regret. But I never expect my students and build in opportunities for my students to deal with the fact that they get grumpy, they get tired, they're impulsive, they're immature. Uh, so how do I work in and around their imperfections is, I think, an incredibly important question that every teacher has to deal with, right? No lesson plan works for everyone because all the students are different. And that sounds self-evident, and yet we produce cookie-cutter lesson plans designed to reach all of the students, while at the same time knowing that we won't, right? And so we differentiate uh, and come up with six slightly different lesson plans hoping that our students will fall into nice, six night, nice, neat patterns. And, and maybe they will. Um, uh, the imperfections in a student shock us all, right? One day, the great student who has been so well-behaved and asking great questions is, a, is just a nightmare in class. And, and now you have to deal with that. And you're shocked. And you're, and you're thinking, you know, what about our relationship? And I thought we'd build trust, and then they went and stole uh, something. And yet, we have to acknowledge the fact that imperfect students don't exist. Perfect people don't exist. Our children are not going to be perfect. Hopefully, they're wonderful. But sometimes they're going to be horrible. And, and then we have to love them and work through them. And that's the piece.
love them and work through them. So the Dharma, of course, is about non-attachment, right? Uh, that, uh, that attachment desires the root of suffering, one of the Four Noble Truths, uh, and the dog in the poem is a symbol of non-attachment. And I will be honest, I studied Buddhism for several years. Um, non-attachment was not useful for me. Um, I have found that detaching myself from the world, from other people, um, made me less powerful, perhaps more content, but less powerful, less effective in accomplishing the things that I wanted to accomplish. And I realized then wanting to accomplish something, I'm in the trap of attachment right there. Sure, I'm not a perfect podcaster. Deal. Uh, for me, I found that I can only make progress by attaching myself further. I have to find a way to love whatever it is I'm trying to affect. And it's only when I fall in love with something that I have any opportunity, any chance to make a difference with them or through them. So I've had, last year I had students that were very, very challenging. Um, I was in year 16 as a teacher um, and I was functioning like a first year teacher. I was just fighting with my students. Uh, they were working, They were. I, I was convinced they were working towards organized rebellion. Uh, you know, that every teacher's nightmare where all the students suddenly rise up realizing that they have the power. Um, and uh, I was having trouble sleeping and it was just a nightmare. All stress, no progress. And then I remembered a very basic truth, love your students. And so I slowly and deliberately found a way to fall in love with every single one of them, even the nightmare kids. And there were a whole bunch of them in that class, profane, violent, cruel kids. But eventually I found a way to love every one of them. It was work. Uh, and then the class started to turn, right? Uh, not because I was suddenly, you know, tossing them flowers, and uh, but people respond to emotions. And as I came to appreciate them, even in their imperfections, and find some way to love them despite their imperfections, they then responded to me. Uh, and yes, I started to feed them and smile at them more, and my nonverbals became much more positive, and it worked. It's the same for me if I want to make a difference uh, in a place, I have to fall in love with a place, in a country, in a profession. Um, now, that may not be the true for anyone else, but it works for me. Um, and to say that love is power is cliche, and it makes it sound easy. And I promise you, loving some people is really hard. But I don't know any other way to move forward with anything. So back to the poem. It ends with this very disturbing note. If only I were not her God. And I think that's the last piece that really bothers me about the poem. That's the piece that uh, Collins ended with because he wanted that to take away. How do we deal with the fact that some people admire us so much that we become gods to them? Our students look to us for all answers, for all modeling. And they pretend that they don't, but they do, right? And there's such a tremendous pressure as a teacher, as a parent, again, to be perfect, to live up to that idealism. And then we all know the trauma and shock when 
our kids realize that we're not perfect um, and how some children never get over uh, the experience of finding out that their father or their mother is an imperfect person who makes terrible mistakes sometimes. Um, so as a teacher, how do, how do we manage that? Because the last thing I want is for my students to just accept things because I say them. Because I don't think that's education, that's indoctrination. So I need them to challenge me, to argue with me, to think through, to decide against my ideas. Although my own inclination, of course, is I would love to be admired. Who wouldn't? And the student's inclination is to admire me, to place me on some sort of pedestal. And so finding a way to get them to value me but not uh, worship me is a critical piece that every teacher has to work through, right? Uh, we want to be guides, but we certainly don't want to be the source of all truth and all wisdom because someday we won't be there and they will need to find another source of truth and who knows who that source of truth may be, right? We need to help them find ways to become their own sources of truth and wisdom. So with all that in mind, I just keep going back to my dogs. I've got two of them on the couch right now. You can periodically hear them in the background. And they're snorting and snoring, and they smell a little musty, uh, and they drool, um, and they chase my cats around, and they're just generally more than I can handle most times, and I love them for it greatly. Uh, I don't know if they're simplicity modeled for me, but they are love modeled for me. And in that, they are the Dharma, because uh, I know that no matter how I am or how I behave, I have 100% acceptance and support from my little ruffians, unless I ask them to come inside when they don't want to. And then I have 100% acceptance, but no support. So with that in mind, I encourage you, snuggle up with your dog, love your students, read more poetry. Most importantly, take care of yourself. Talk to you soon.